Tonight is the, uh, today is the Shloshim uh, of the uh, mother of a good friend of ours, um, Abba Kleiman. Her name was Rachel Bat Eliezer, so we're going to dedicate this shir in her memory. Um, I didn't know her, but I know her son. He and his wife have done incredible things for Chayle Tzal. It's unbelievable things that they do for the Israeli army and for the soldiers. So, especially now, our hats are off to them. Um, also, um, in memory of Mayor Gutman Ben Binyamin Cohen. Morton Jarishow, who was uh, the father of Daniel and the grandfather of Ellie, who did Shana Bet here years 12 and 13. Um, and, um, okay. Oh, and also, um, a student from back in, I think, year seven, went to Amaz, Ben Marins, whose brother Judah, uh, unfortunately, was Nifter years ago, and the Yortzite is actually tonight. Tomorrow is Asara Bateves. So Yehuda Aaron Ben Svi Shragi, um, that uh, that it should be in the Lui for their neshamot. So I want to tell you a powerful story. The year is 1943, 44. Um, a fellow named Attila Peshauer. You will probably never have heard that name. He was a Jewish fellow from a Jewish family, and he was a a master, a champion uh, at the saber. Fencing. Um, and he won Olympic gold in 1928 and in 1932. Now you have to understand, saber fencing was like the cool sport, the Rambo, the macho sport of the day. He was like the Michael Jordan of the day. All right? And he became a national hero because he won Olympic gold, he won many medals, group medals, etc. And uh, when you have to, by the way, ask yourself, who names their Jewish son Attila? So we're not talking about like, you know, Ger Hasidim here. They were very nationalistic, very proud to be part of Hungary and the Hungarian community. They were part of that community. I mean, the intermarriage rate in, in Poland, for example, before the war was 17, uh, 27%. In Hungary, it wasn't much better. So, you know, are you a, a Jewish Hungarian or a Hungarian Jew? If you're a Hungarian Jew, it means what's important to you is that you're a Jew, and you have to be Hungarian. If you're a Jewish Hungarian, what's important to you is you're Hungarian, you have to be a Jew. There were a lot of Jews in Hungary who looked at themselves as Jewish Hungarians, and they got a rude awakening. Now, the, the Holocaust in Hungary was a little different from how it played out in Poland, because, because, the, because Hungary was an ally of Germany. And they had their share of fascism, right? The Black Arrow Party in, 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 in Hungary and the goons, the things they did to Jews. But it was certainly better than Poland. Uh, Rav Amital, who was our Rosh Hashiv in Gush, um, as a young man, was swept up in, a, in an action and sent to be part of a work battalion. They basically took Jews and they sent them through minefields. That's how you clear a minefield, get some Jews. It was a very dangerous thing to do. A lot of people didn't come back. The conditions were horrendous. It would be our worst nightmare. But it still wasn't Auschwitz. All this lasted until 1944. In 1944, Hungary realized the jig was up and they switched sides. They surrendered and they sort of committed to being part of the Allied forces. So, so the Germans invaded Hungary. They weren't having anything about that. And what that meant was that 500,000 Jews in Hungary overnight were all of a sudden in harm's way in a very serious way. And some of you may know the history. The 400, 400, over 400,000 Jews of Hungary were murdered by the Nazis in the summer of 1944. They were murdering 10,000 Jews a day. 
Now Attila Peshawar, because he was a national champion, was given a tour. He was given an exemption, and he had papers to prove that he was he was a national icon, or whatever he served the war effort, and whatever he was doing. Well, one day he was out walking, and uh, he forgot his papers. And all of a sudden, there was an act on, on the block that he was on, and he got swept up in it, and he was taken to a work camp called the Davidovka work camp. And according to eyewitnesses, first or second day he was there, um, a fellow who was a, an SS guard, or Hungarian SS guard, called Kalman Czech. Now, Kalman Czech was a, also an Olympian, although he didn't quite win the gold, but he recognized Attila Peshawar. And Attila Peshawar, according to eyewitnesses, saw him, and waved to him and smiled, thinking, like, thank God, there's someone who knows me, they had been friends, I don't know exactly what the deal was. But Kalman Pesh didn't have the same opinion of Attila that Attila had of him. And it was reported later that he said to his fellow guards, make sure to make it hot for that Jew. You're a national hero, you're an Olympian, you do so much for your country, but you're a Jew. So a couple of days later, it was a freezing day, and they cornered him, and they made him strip naked in the, in the Umstagplatz, in the, in, the, in, the, in the open square in the camp. And they forced him to climb a tree completely nude in bitter freezing cold of winter. Those of you who go to Poland, if you remember this story, just imagine it when you stand. It's cold in Poland. Imagine being without any of your clothing, climbing up a tree. Then they took water hoses and they sprayed him with water hoses. Until frozen, he fell to the ground and he died the next day. That was the story of Attila Peshawar. He thought that Hungary was his home, and he learned the hard way that it really wasn't. Now, why do I tell you this, this story? Because there is a powerful idea in this week's Pasha that I think bears mention, and especially with what's going on in the world today, it's a question we need to struggle with. And when I say we, I don't just mean those of you who plan on living in the States or, 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 or Belgium or France or whatever, or think we're going back there. I'm talking about all of us. So let's think about this. Vayigash, Parashat Vayigash begins the story of exile. There's never been an exile before. Avram comes to Eretz Israel. He goes to Egypt for a short time, but he comes back. There's no exile. I didn't feel like I was in exile this week. I was on a visit to America, right? Never. Okay. But this starts the exile. And this is the fulfillment of what famous covenant? Anybody? Brit Ben Amtarim. Right? Avram says to Hashem says to Avram, You're going to have a son. He's 99 years old. And he thought that's amazing. Like, and he realizes this is, this is right. This is good. Hashem promised me I'm going to have offspring. I knew eventually. Imagine the faith that at 98 years old, people are saying to him, How are you ever going to have children? He's like, yeah, Hashem will provide. 99 years old. Unbelievable. But then Hashem says to him, you should know, right? Your children will inhabit this land. And all of a sudden, Avram says to him, how do I know that I'm going to inherit this? How do I know that I'm going to inherit this? Right? You understand the question? One minute, good man, you with me here? One minute, I believe that I'm going to have a son at 99 years old. And the next minute, I can't believe we're going to inherit the land. Why the difference? So Salvechik talks about this. He says because Avram understands that what's dependent on him, he's sure he can live up to. I'll do my bit, Hashem will do his. So on my merit that I'm going to have a son, that I know I'm going to, I'll live up to that. But how do I know my children are going to do that? So Hashem says to him, no, 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 you don't understand. 
You think that the Jewish people can undo our relationship. Avram does not understand our relationship with Kosh He thinks it's a relationship of contract. In a contract, you do your bit and I do mine. So if you don't do your bit, then how do I know it's going to work? Shem says, no, our relationship is a relationship of brit. A brit can never be broken. Right? When a child has a brit milah, he's a Jew forever. It doesn't matter what he does. Does Yisrael Yisrael, who a Jew, even if he sins, he's still a Jew. You can't undo your, the fact that you're Jewish. And if you forget you're a Jew, they'll come along and remind you you're a Jew. Reform, reconstructionist, atheist, anti, they all went into the cattle cars together. It's a covenant. And if you don't remember who you are, I'll come and remind you who you are. So part of that Brit Ben Abtarim is that the Jewish people are going to go down for 400 years, or we'll talk about the number some other time, and they're going to be, right, Gerim Be'eretz Lalahem. They're going to be strangers in a land that isn't there. Ve'avadum, and they're going to be enslaved. Ve'inuotam, and they're going to be tortured. They're going to suffer. And then eventually, Ve'achakach, Yitzhubur Gadol. Right? And they'll come out with great wealth, there'll be justice, and whatever else happens. Now, one of the questions in the back of our minds is, why does this have to be? Why is part of the birth of the Jewish people have to be that we go down to Mitzrayim and we suffer? Okay, in this week's parsha, that journey begins. Now, I grant you that you could say that it happened a couple weeks ago, that when Yosef is in the pit, it's the beginning of the journey down to Egypt. Okay, you could say it happens when Avram has the brief of Tarim, but here you really begin to see it, the Jews are going down to exile. So the question becomes, how do you deal with exile? How do you deal with this? And this isn't some existential question to understand when we're studying, you know, Ishaim Munav of This is a question that everyone is going to have to deal with, especially if you're going back into the exile. You're going to, I don't know, Binghamton, University of Maryland, Penn, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, NYU, Michigan. You're in Gullus. You're in the exile. How do you deal with exile? And as we're going to see, there are two possibilities. So let's take a look at this, okay? Because despite the fact that we are strangers and that we're not, we're such a small minority, somehow we flourish. And we have done this consistently in every exile we've been in. Right? And that's what the Pasuk says. This is something that we say, it's in the Haggadah Shal Pesach, and it's something that we say during a famous ritual. Anybody know when we say this? <coughs> when do we say this? When does the Torah tell me I said this? Every Jew has to say this. Anybody know? Perak Chaf Hei and Dvarim, the 25th chapter of Deuteronomy. When a Jew <coughs> brings up to the temple his first fruits, his Bikurim, so he, he, he recites this whole little litany, right? Arami Ovedavi, Vayer Dusham Bimte Me'at, they went down, they were a small group. And one of the things that you say when you offer up your first fruits in a moment of pure gratitude is, and they became a great nation. So we're a great nation. And we're a great nation whether we're in America, whether we're in France, whether we're in Iran. We need to understand that. So now, Yosef gives the brothers some advice. Now this is fascinating, okay? This is fascinating. All right? We're in Perak Memvav Pasuk Lamed Aleph. Okay? So, Yehuda has stepped forth. Yosef reveals himself. Now they're a family again. Okay? They go back up to get Yaakov. 
Yaakov is like re, rejuvenated, reborn. He's going to see his son Yosef. They're all coming down. And what's the first dilemma? What is the first dilemma that Jews have to deal with as they're going into exile? Anybody know? What's the first thing you do? You, 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 you finished your, 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 your medical school, and then you got a spot in residency. You're going to, I don't know, I was talking to a boy who's in the first year of Araita, and he, he had his birthday yesterday, so I like to reach out to guys on their birthdays. And uh, he finished his residency, finished his fellowship. He's now a doctor in Atlanta. So what's the first thing you have to decide if you go to Atlanta, you go to Gullis, you go to Nebuch Binghamton, or Maryland, or I don't know, Duke, whatever, wherever you're going, right? Is anybody going to Duke? Baruch Hashem, right? We can make fun of that, okay? Right? So, so what's the first question? Where am I going to live? Where are you going to live? That is the first question. It's a question for a college student. It's a question for a family. Where am I going to live? So listen to what Yosef says. This is interesting, right? Um, we're in Perak Memvav, Pasuk Lamed Aleph. I'm on the wrong page. Okay. Vayomer Yosef Elechav ve'albeit Aviv. So he tells his brothers and the household of his fathers. How many of them are there, by the way, including Yosef? Seventy. Seventy. That's an interesting question, by the way. Why do we need to know that? It keeps getting repeated. It's in the Haggadah. Okay, maybe we'll get to that. All right. Agida um, I'm going to go tell Paro. By the way, isn't that interesting? Ele, I will go up. I will make Aliyah. And I will tell Paro. Do you think of Aliyah as going to Paro? I actually think that is Yerida. You're going into the house of idolatry. The Egyptians were immersed in, 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 in incest and all sorts of other things, and paganism. So it's interesting that Yosef thinks that's an Aliyah. Okay. Vaumrai eleven, I'll say to him, My brothers, my father, who were in Canaan, they came to me. Okay? Now, that's interesting. Let's keep going. And they are shepherds. Now, Yosef says they're, they're, they're cattlemen. Not shepherds, they're cattlemen. What's the difference between a shepherd and a cattleman? What do you think? Both deal with cattle, yeah? Uh, shepherd deals with someone else's flock, maybe? No, you could be a shepherd if you're on a flock. Cattlemen are people who deal with cows, so they slaughter and, and milk them. What does a cattleman do with cows? Prod them. Pardon? Prod them and direct them. No, no, no. And for what? Why do you have cows? To kill them. Nope. No it's a business. They're businessmen. They sell them, they buy them, they sell the meat. <coughs> They're businessmen. A shepherd, right? A shepherd has his own sheep, and he takes care of them for the wool, Right? Very different. Now, what's the major difference between a cattleman and a shepherd? The shepherd needs grass. He needs land. If you take your whole flock somewhere, it's because that's where you want to be. But a cattleman, he doesn't need land. He makes a pen. He's just growing them up. He needs food. It's business. Okay. So he says, they're cattlemen. And this is what you should say. He is now telling the brothers what to say to Paro. Why is he telling the brothers what to say to Paro? So they don't Pardon? So they don't offend him. So they don't offend him. Okay. What else? Yeah. I mean, he knows the system better than anyone else. He know what is he interested in? What does he not want to happen? Yeah. 
Okay, so you're quoting Rashi, right? He doesn't want them to be sucked into the Egyptian system, yeah? He has a whole plan, like getting all the land into Pharaoh's possession. He doesn't want the land that they get to be in Pharaoh's possession. Okay, we'll have to see. He's got some, there, there's something a little surreptitious about the way Yosef is doing this. He's manipulating this. He's telling the brothers what they should say. Let's keep going, okay? We've been cattlemen forever. It's not exactly true. They were shepherds. And if you look back at Sukkim, you'll see that they were, right? Avram's, Avram was they were shepherds, right? Okay? Why am I doing this? So that you will dwell in Eretz Goshen. I want you to be in Goshen. Now, by the way, because the Egyptians detest shepherds. And I'm afraid that if they see you as shepherds, right? Because why, are they, why do they detest shepherds? A lot of different opinions. Some say because the sheep were gods and, and you're kind of hurting their gods. Some say, I think it was a Rashman who says, no, they detest this because, because they were mighty warriors. And someone who's a shepherd is a mama's boy. And they, they hated that type of thing, right? Could be, okay. So don't tell them you're shepherds. Tell them you're cattlemen. Because they hate shepherds. And I don't want them to hate you. Because if they hate you, you don't get to become part of society. You're on the outs. Okay. This is interesting. So four things. First of all, Yosef is speaking strategically and somewhat deceptively. Let's manipulate what happens here so that we get what we want. All right. Second... You came here for me. Okay? Third, say that you're, you're cattlemen on Shem And fourth, don't mention Goshen. Don't ask. You will say this to your cattlemen and he will give you Goshen. Don't ask for Goshen. Right? That's what some of the Farshmen say. Okay. Now let's see what happens. Right? Um, let's see. Oh, and one more thing. Right? What does it say here? Um... They came from Canaan and they happened to be in Goshen. Why is he saying they happen to be in Goshen? Because then what's Paro going to say? Oh, let him just stay in Goshen. Which is for whatever the reason what Yosef wants. Okay. Okay. Now Yosef takes sort of the, the, the edge of his brothers, a small amount of his brothers, in the word ketzat. And there's an interesting debate uh, in Rashi versus the Talmud Bavli that we have, and the Medrash is not going to get into it as to which five they were, but the consensus seems to be among the Farshim that he wants to take the weaker ones. Don't take Yehuda. Because if you take Yehuda, right, then one of two things will happen. Either the, the Egyptians will see him as a threat, or they'll realize this is a superstar, let's get him to come uh, you know, serve as a minister in the government. And Yosef doesn't want them to be co-opted into Egypt. Right? Interesting. Okay? And he brings them before Paro. So now Paro says, so what do you guys do? Now, Yosef has just briefed them. Tell him you're on Shemek now. Tell him that you came to dwell here. Right? Because if you're just here temporarily, they're not going to take you seriously. Right? They're going to think you're freeloaders. So tell them, you're businessmen, you'll contribute to society. Right? And you came 
because you came from me. You know, you, you don't have anything about Egypt. You, you just, you want to be here. Uh, you're part of, I'm, I'm, you know, sort of politically high up. Remind Paro that you're my brothers, that you came from me. So what do the brothers say, right? Vayomru el Paro, ro'et son avadecha. We're shepherds. It's exactly what Yosef told him not to say. We've always been shepherds. We have come here not to dwell. We have come here just temporarily. We're not coming here to contribute. We don't want to have a business. We just want to graze our sheep here until the famine's over and then we'll leave. We didn't come to see Yosef. We came because there's a famine. And now, let us live in Goshen. Everything that Yosef told them not to do. Don't tell them you're shepherds, they tell them you're shepherds. Tell them you came from me, no, we came because there's a van. Don't mention Goshen, we want Goshen. You know, it's incredible. So how does Paro react to this? How does Paro react to this? I see that your brothers and your father came to you. Now, the brothers just told him, we came because there's a famine. He just ignores them. He just totally ignores them and starts talking to Yosef. And he basically supports Yosef's position. They came for you, right? You can settle your brothers and your father in the land. Not lagur, right? Ger v'toshav anochim says Avram to Ephron in the Maratha Machpelah. What is the difference between a ger and a toshav? The ger is the person who's there temporarily. temporarily. The toshav, right, Vayeshev Yaakov, right, Yaakov comes to dwell, Bikesh Lashevet Bishavai, wants to dwell. So the brothers say, Lagul Vaaret Banu, we've come to temporarily be here, we really want to be there. And Paro says, settle them. Yosef seems to support Paro. Yeshvu Be'aretz Goshen, says Paro. Let them dwell in Goshen. And if you see that there are men of stature, you know, if they can, if they're, if they're businessmen among them, then let them manage the business here and help me out. We'll get them involved in Egyptian society. And then he brings Yosef, etc. So, so what's going on here? You know, sometimes the Torah paints a picture which, where the question is so obvious, it's almost like I don't want you to even think about missing this. What is Yosef doing and what are the brothers doing? Why is Yosef giving them advice? Why are they ignoring it? How does Paro fit into this, right? What's the difference between them, okay? So it would seem that there are two different positions here. And they're answering a question. How do we deal with the exile? What does Yosef say? Yosef says, if you're in the exile, then be in the exile. Live in the exile. You know, build houses. Rashi, Rashi points out, uh, let's see if I can find this quickly, otherwise I'll just tell it about there. But um, the Ramban says, sorry, the Ramban in Perak, uh, this is a very easy Ramban, very easy to find. Memzayin Pasuk, I think it's Yudalat. Right, so Yosef then gives them a portion in the land of Goshen. Mm-hmm. 
כי לא רצה שיהיו כגרים בארץ. יוזיף that has to teach the Jewish people, there are two of them, how to deal with exile. Yechezkel would be a good guess. Yechezkel is the only Navi who actually prophecies in the exile. But the par excellence Navi who tells them how to deal with the exile is Yirmiyahu. Two points for the Elisbacher. So what does Yirmiyahu say? Listen, this is unbelievable. Let me ask you a question. Yosef seems to be saying, become part of society. Like, live in the land. Be businessmen. Contribute to society, right? The brothers, on the other hand, the brothers say, we don't want to be part of the society. We came here to dwell. We came here temporarily. We are refugees, and we're okay with that. We, we, we want to be there. We don't want to be here. We want to be back in Israel. We only came here because there's a famine. As soon as that famine's over, we're out of here. Don't look at us as part of your society. We're here for food. That's it. Let me ask you a question. Your paro, which approach is better for you to hear as paro? Yosef's approach, right? Like, you know, we want to come to, to I don't know, Harvard, Penn, or MIT, three random colleges, right? And, um, and, 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 but we're not coming to, you know, there was a boy who I met at Penn. I went, we did a Shabbatot at Penn many, many years ago. There was a boy who was there, and I saw him at Minyan, but I hadn't seen him most of Shabbos. And basically, he didn't want to go to Penn. He wanted to go to, I don't know, stay in Eretzel and Yeshiva, or go to YU, I don't remember exactly. He wasn't going to write the boy. And, um, uh, but he came, and then he saw, I was there, I gave a shear, so we were doing a tish, so he came to the tish. And he was asking me some pretty good questions. And I said, you know, it's interesting, I didn't see you, like, you know, we were there. He said, oh, I, I come here to take classes, and there's like a little kolel somewhere near in Philadelphia, and he goes, he found a place to live there. He doesn't want to live on campus. He doesn't want to be part of, you know, the exile and the gullus and the frats and I don't know what everything scutless is and, and exile is. So he lives off campus. He's in a kollel. He learns. He has morning seder. You could actually have a morning seder on campus when you're in college. I'm happy to prove that to you. Um, but he comes for his classes. He'll get his degree and he'll go. And he says, honestly, I don't want to be here. And not only don't I want to be here, but I want everybody here to know that I don't want to be here. So like they asked me to join, you know, to do something for the Hillel, I said, I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to be part of that. You know, they asked me, you know, somebody asked me uh, for a chavrusa. I said, I'll only have a chavrusa with you if you come to the Kolo in Philadelphia. But I'm not sitting in the basement of Pen. That was his approach. So afterwards, so we're talking, whatever, and afterwards one of the Oraita boys said, well, I'm curious, what do you think about that? Like on the one hand, the likelihood of him intermarrying is probably lower, and the likelihood of him being influenced by, you know, sort of the society of campus is probably lower. On the other hand, he's not going to contribute a lot to campus life, and he's not going to contribute a lot to the Hillel and the Chabad and whatever else it may be. So which is better? That's this machloket. That's exactly what this debate is. The brothers are saying, we have to go to college because we want to get a degree, and I don't know, my mother wants me to go. But I don't want to be there. And Yosef, Yosef at Tzadik, the only brother who has two sons who are Shvatim, towering, the only individual in all of Tanakh called a Tzadik by Chazal. Noach was called a Tzadik in the Torah and seems to blow that. It's not for us to say, but it seems to blow that. Shimon, Shimon at Tzadik is called in the Mishnah. The only other individual that's called a Tzadik until Hasidus started was Yosef. So Yosef at Tzadik. Yosef at Tzadik thinks, no, you have to assimilate. You have to become part of society. 
So which is better? Before I, I, I go on, I'm just curious what you think. This is a legitimate debate. The brothers against Yosef. Assimilate, become part of society. If you're already there, contribute. Or stay separate so that you never lose your roots. What do you think? And don't answer me a little bit of both. I want to know what you think is better, the better approach. I'm curious. Yes. Stay separate. You will go with separate. You're with the brothers. Acharei Rabim Latot, they're the majority. Okay. Why? Mingle with the idol worshippers who have nothing to do with Hashem? Where are you going to college? YU. Okay. So at YU, they have a program, okay, to work with kids in public schools. Now, if you go to a public school, all right, or if you have a chavruta with a guy in uh, Queens College or, or I don't know, um, Ithaca or, 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 or Hunter College, you're going to meet kids... This is an actual program in YU. You're going to meet kids that have very little knowledge, and you're going to meet their friends. And, and they're culturally very different from, certainly from how I am. And, and, and you're going to be, right, if you want to clean up the mud, you get dirty. So the brother's approach is, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. You know, once they're with the goyim, they're going. You know, they're just one step away from pure tumor, we should stay away from them. By the way, if you never volunteer, you never work with, with you know, strata of society, their difficulty, you'll stay pure you'll miss an opportunity to contribute. But that would seem to be the brother's approach. Yeah, what do you think? Our duty is to spread light to the nations, so if we are able to go and do so without falling, I think it's our duty. Well, isn't that the magic question? If you're, if you're gonna go out and, and go to, say, you know, Binghamton or whatever, if it's university, and you're gonna end up going out trying to spread, spread the light, and then if you fall and intermarry, you shouldn't. But, okay, you know you but by the way, I would add that the idea of going to Binghamton University, Medal, wherever it is, to spread the light is also a very dangerous idea. Um, it's worth mentioning this. Um, it's one thing to feel like I've been given such a gift and I want to share this with other people because, because I find it brings me so much meaning and I want to share that because why wouldn't I want to share meaning with other people? Spreading the light sounds very much like I am this great light. You, Nebuch, live in darkness. I will enlighten you. It comes off even if a person doesn't mean it that way. It's very arrogant. You've got to be very careful with that. But I know that's what you meant, but okay. So these are the two different perspectives. So how do we decide which one is the more appropriate approach? There's clearly a machlokas here. There's a debate. So Yirmiyahu Navi is the Navi, the Navi par excellence, who says you're going into the darkest exile that ever was. This is a much darker exile, right, than, 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 than you know, the exile of Mitzrayim. This is the, the, the base of Mikdash is destroyed. They're going down to Bavel. So listen to what Yumiyahu and Aviyah says. Ko amar Hashem This is in Parak Haftet Pasuk Dalad. You can look this up. 29, verse 4. Ko amar Hashem So saith, I love to do the faith thing. So saith, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all of the exile. Exile is a place, but it's also the Jewish people are now called, you know, exiles. That I have exiles from Yerushalayim to Babel, to Babylon, to the cesspool of paganism at the time. B'nu batim, build houses. V'shevu, and dwell there. Not gul. Dwell there, shave. If you're going to be there, live there. And plant gardens and eat of the fruit. Get married. And have children, Jewish children. And, and, and let your children marry and have grandchildren there. 
and multiply there. Don't think you're in Galut, we don't want to be there. Vidirshu et Shlomahir. And seek the peace of the cities that you're in. The idea of making a blessing for the government, which exists in many communities in the exile, which is basically is based on this puzzle. You have a halachic obligation to daven for Shlomo Medina. Jews in Germany during World War I had a tefillah for the Kaiser. And Jews in England had a tefillah for the king or the queen. Right? <coughs> it was the king. Right? You understand? So what is that? Mm-hmm. And daven for those places. In its peace will be your peace. <coughs> so how do we understand this? So, I think... Oh, and one more thing. What does it mean that Paro pretends that the brothers don't exist? What does that mean? What's going on here? How do we deal with the exile? I want to tell you, the Ramban, by the way, says this very clearly. The Ramban says, I started to quote this, right? That Yosef says, build them cities. You have to assimilate. Now, the word assimilate, Rav Matus Weinberg has a magnificent article on this topic. We tend to think of the word assimilate as sort of the verb in terms of our entry into society. Like, if people assimilate in, 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 in the exile then they're diluted and they're lost. But there is another meaning to the word assimilate. Latmia, to assimilate is to take something and, and, and see the value in it. Assimilate it into the way you think. Assimilate it into the way you view the world. If, if Hashem has sent us to the exile, it's not just a punishment. It means that there's something we're meant to gain from the exile. Now I want to tell you something. I spent a number of years teaching. And I, I did it so that I could discover which type of teaching I didn't want to do, and there are many. Um, but one of the interesting challenges that comes up when you're teaching kids, high school kids, grade school kids, and I taught, at the beginning of my career, I, I tried to teach every different type of audience to see what I would love. I taught first graders for a year, and that was amazing. Hands off to first grader teachers, I could never do that. I taught sixth grade girls, I taught third graders, I taught ninth graders, it, it was an interesting journey. And sometimes a kid is acting up and you have to punish him. You know, he can't stop talking or, or two girls can't stop giggling. It's interrupting the class. So what do you have to do sometimes? You have to ask them to tell them leave. Kick them out of the room. Right? Okay, go sit in the hall. Whenever that would happen, and I tried not to let it happen often, I understood that I might be doing something for the benefit of the clown, but I was absolutely failing with the individual. Kicking a student out of the class means you failed with that student. You know, in the history of a right there have been, thank God, only a few, but there have been a few instances where someone did something that was so beyond the pale that it threatened sort of the whole community and maybe even the future of the Shiva. And so you have to ask a boy to leave. You have absolutely failed educationally with that boy. It's a heartbreaking thing to do. So what's the smarter thing to do? If you can ask a boy to leave the class, a girl, whatever, and when they leave the class, you're sending them to do something that's productive for them, then you've benefited the klal and you've benefited the individual. If Hashem sends us into exile, says Yosef, it can't be that this is just puzzle. You know, you're going to Penn. I don't know why. You think it's, it's, it's this, this boy that I met many years ago. 
You think you're in pain because your mother wants you to be in pain. You don't have the strength to stand up to your mother. That's not why you're in pain. You're in pain because the Kodesh Baruch Hu decided you need to be in pain. How do I know that? Because you're in pain. Well, why are you there? If the entire time you're there, all you're thinking about is, I don't want to be here, and this is puzzle, that's a lack of bitachon. You're missing the point of this exercise. By the way, if you think that Hashem sent you to pen so that you could learn how to be in pen without getting affected by pen, and the way you do this, oh, that's a different way of looking at the world. That could be legitimate. How do you become of the world but not in it? How do you find that balance? Who is right, Yosef or the brothers? And the answer is... Both. We have something. I'll tell you something interesting. We're running out of time. Right in the middle of Vayigash is the first time that we find that, that the family of Israel comes down to Mitzrayim and they are numbered at 70. And, and Chazal do sort of somersaults to figure out how they're 70. Well, we forgot Sarah Bat Asher. It counts Yosef. Why is the number 70 important? This you must know. What does the number 70 represent? Where, where else do I find 70? I find 70 nations. What else? 70 faces of the Torah. 70 languages. 70 is global. Where is the most famous case of 70? No, 771. Pardon? Should I give you a hint? Okay. Watch my hand. You're watching? Oh, you're 70. Right up there. That'd be a good guess. That's just... I want you to know. I want you to know. If, if Chazal come... If a Malach came to me and said, you know, when you leave this world, like, how do you want to start your journey? Hopefully in Ganeiden, right? I'm, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, well, before we get in, can I just watch a few of these terrorists when they get upstairs and they discover... Oh... I just want to be there. <laughs> 70 what? No, 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 no. Here's, here's the first of 70. All right. We have, it's 70 degrees. That's what it is. On the fire, 700. All right, anyway, right? No, Beishamai. Beishamai says, right, that we light 8, 7, 6, 5. Why? Keneged Parehachag. Now, some of you may remember the light we knit Hanukkah candles that I said to you, Quoted of Huttner, really, of Blau uh, was the first one I ever heard that thought from. But um, who says, like, what's the opinion of Beit Shammai? Beit Shammai basically says, why is two holier than one? So we talked about that. But there's an interesting question. What is, what is, what is, why are the Pareachag, 13, 12, 11? Mm-hmm. So if you add up the Pareachag, which stop at seven on the, on the seventh day, they add up to the number 70. Why do we offer a Pareachag for the nations of the world? Because it's not just about us. It's about something so much bigger than us. The Jewish people are here because we care about the world. Yosef says, we have something to gain from the world. And if we're going to be in there, now listen to this carefully. Jacob, you with me? This is important. What? Exactly, right? Listen to this carefully. This is important, okay? If Hashem sent us to all these exiles, says Yosef, you're there for a reason. There's something you're meant to learn from the Greeks and the Persians and the Romans, from Spain and medieval England, even in York and even Germany. There's something we're meant to learn. And long after these cultures are gone, the zera, the seed, the energy, the spark of those places got carried along in the Jewish journey. 
We are a combination today of Spain and Germany and England and France and Morocco and Yemen and Tunisia, all these places. We assimilated some of the best ideas and we end up with a chulant or chamin, which has so many different beautiful ingredients. That's what makes it amazing. And now we can share all of that back with the world. Yosef says, go to Mitzrayim. This is what Yirmiyah and Avi will say. If you're going to be in Bavel, be in Bavel. Learn from Bavel. Grow in Bavel. Ah, but if you look carefully at the story of Yosef, he doesn't say that the brothers are wrong. He says they have to be in Goshen. You also have to remember, what do we say in the Haggadah? In the Haggadah we say, right? By the way, the Haggadah here is quoting the Sifri in uh, Kitavo. Yaakov and the Jewish people don't go down to, to get stuck there. They don't go down to become, you know, Egyptian, Jewish Egyptians. While you're assimilating everything Egypt has to offer, while you're discerning the value of what they have to share and making sure to filter out the pollution that you don't want, understand that this is temporary. So if you go to New York or Philadelphia or Boston or, or, or Canada or England or France or wherever you're going and you understand that that's not your home, right? Yes, even Paris, right? And you understand that that's not your home. You're there to learn something. You have to find a, you have to find a way to remember that that's not your home. You have to be the person who gains but who's separate. You have to live in the land of Goshen. You have to be Lagur Ba'aretz Banu. We've come temporarily to dwell here. But at the same time, there's much to learn from Egypt. Don't view it as a totally negative experience because Hashem sent you there. I once told you a story, but I'll remind you of it. There was a chassid, it was a baltokea. He was a chauffeur blower. And every year he would go to Brooklyn. He lived on the West Coast. He would go back to Brooklyn to be with his Rebbe, right? And blow chauffeur in the, in the shtibble. And one particular year, he was on this flight, and he was supposed to land in uh, New York a few hours before Chag. I don't know why you would do that, but whatever. And something goes wrong. And there's a mechanical failure, and they announce that they have to land in Idaho. Idaho. Right? So he's getting nervous. Okay. So they land on the plane. They're sitting on the tarmac for an hour or two. And after a couple hours, they say, we're not going to be able to fix it. We're going to be getting off here, and they will reroute you. Now, he understands, you know, he's not getting to Brooklyn. So he manages to call his Rebbe. He says, Rebbe, I'm so sorry. I'm on this plane and it got, you know, it, it, it landed in Idaho, whatever. I'm stuck in Idaho. Rebbe says to him, you're not stuck in Idaho. A Jew is never stuck. He's sent. Go find out why you were sent. If you're in wherever it is you're in, through decisions that you make, and before you get there, it's on you. You have to decide, do I want to be there? What am I going to do with this? But once you're in wherever you're in, then that was obviously what it was meant to be. Be sure to make it what was meant to be. At the same time, don't forget, that's not your destination. If there was ever a time in recent memory that the Jewish community needs to understand, that is not your home. Now, I don't think there's going to be gas chambers, chas v'shalom, and cattle cars, you know, in the streets of New Jersey next week. But anybody here who thinks that your grandchildren are going to grow up safe in America, that ship sailed on October 7th. Do not delude yourself into thinking otherwise. And that doesn't mean, like, you grew up in America or in, or in France or in Belgium, 
And therefore, studying here might be difficult for you, and there might be a lot of value in, in gaining, right, in the Netherlands, sorry, right? Uh, it might be, might be in, uh, you know, there might be a value to studying in your language, and it could be that you can contribute a lot. I actually think uh, boys who come from yeshiva and come to college campuses have an enormous amount to contribute. You know, it could be, you know. And even the boys, uh, there's a few boys here who's thinking about doing the army. I don't think it's so simple whether you do the army and then go to college. Or with a duff, you're better off going to college and then going to the army. It's very hard to sit down and study after the army. I'm happy to have that discussion with you. But wherever you decide to be, understand two things. Understand Yosef, contribute, be a part of the community. Make a difference. Gain, learn something. See what those professors have to offer you because you and we and the world will become better. But at the same time, remember, that's not your home. The brothers are right too. Goshen's not where we belong. Goshen's just a little ghetto for the Jews to contribute and learn until they're ready to go home. And those two seemingly conflicting perspectives really synergized and synthesized with each other become what the Jewish people have to contribute to the world. And just to finish off, why does Paro ignore the brothers? Because one of the biggest mistakes we make is that we think that, that you know, that the good graces of the paros of the world is why we'll succeed. Do not make the mistake of thinking, and I'm not saying, there are a lot of tzaddike umos haola who, who, who were in American politics or European politics and whatever it might be, and too numerous to mention here. But to rely on them is a dangerous thing. You know, we, we, one of the things that we learned from the story of Yosef and uh, if you want, in the Q&A in a few minutes, uh, uh, this will be the question we'll start with. I understand that uh, Mr. Megerman came to speak. I missed him today. Um, but um, one of the questions that seemed to came up, come up is, do, should we, you know, do we still need America? Should we rely on America? I wonder if this synthesis isn't that question. Because on the one hand, Yermiao says, if you're in Galut, then yeah, you need Galut. Right? On the other hand, it's very clear you know, uh, Tzitkiyahu is a great example. Tzitkiyahu doesn't listen to the Navi. And he believes that we can be independent and we don't need Bavel, and therefore he stops paying taxes. We don't need them. And that proves to be uh, uh, the reason, at least according to Chazal, that Bavel enters Eretz and destroys everything. There will be a time when we should be independent. Long term, if you believe Akash Barker runs the world, then whatever America does, whatever France does, whatever Poland does, because Baruch runs the world. But are we worthy for that level? Are we worthy yet? Are we as a people ready to be able to say that we can just ignore the rest of the world? That's a tough question to answer. So there's a lot to think about. And if you're curious about my thoughts on this topic, I'm happy to talk about them afterwards. Shem should bless us all that we find this balance. Shabbat shalom, everybody. <laughs>